0: Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good morning. Afternoon, isn't it now? Yes, afternoon, everybody. I I get lost sometimes. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, and I want to just say welcome to everybody here in this room anybody who's listening to this or watching this somewhere thank you for joining with us as well you guys look awesome it's the middle of summer and yet you guys are all still here yeah. we found this out a couple of years ago that some people we don't see them for the summer we think well they quit man and then we'll see them in september and they'll be like oh no we just took the summer off all like, right oh okay it's not school but anyways um <laughs> you guys don't do that because you're here so thank you thank you and if you do do that i'm not my bad for throwing you under the bus out here in front of everybody <laughs> Um, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a guest with us today, um, thank you so, so, so much um, for being with us. It's always such an honor to have you guys here for the first time or the first time in a long time, whatever that case is. Um, we have our, a team coming back from Costa Rica today, a missions team. And so when you pray today, just be praying for them, that God would give them safe passage. Amen. They've done great work there. Um, and I'm so proud of them and what they do. Uh, I've said this all day today, but i want to say it one more time. I want to give a big shout-out to our ushers, uh, the men and women who are serving on our usher team. They do, they do such great work, and uh, they serve so well um, in the house and out there, keeping us safe, keeping everything in order, making sure everybody has a seat. Um, so thank you to you guys for, for what you do. Um, I, I want to talk today, I want to continue our series, um, the Summer on the Mount. This is where we're just kind of walking slowly through the sermon that Jesus gave uh, in Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Today we're in part 6 of the sermon. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to chapter 6. That's where we're going to hang out for a little bit today. And I want to talk today specifically um, to anybody who's ever been sort of dissatisfied with prayer uh, or the way it works in your life or your own personal prayer life, um, if you've ever uh, felt guilty because you don't pray enough, um, or you're not sure if you're doing it right, uh, if, if you've ever felt confused about how prayer works, or some of us would even be more honest, we're not sure if it works. Um, if, 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 if you're a prayer ninja, this isn't going to help you today, right? If you're like, dude, I'm next, I'm a hoe. I'm at a how, come on, never level, this ain't your sermon. But for the rest of us, Right, who are trying to figure this all out, uh, I want to bring you the words of Jesus. We're going to go to the most, what I think is probably the most famous par- part of Jesus' sermon. In Matthew 6, in, in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, that's without a doubt, um, come, Jesus gives us the greatest prayer ever prayed. And he starts with a couple of warnings, so I want to give them to you real quickly. Matthew 6 verse 5, he says, when you pray, um, do, do not number one, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. He so says, I tell you the truth that they have received their reward in full meaning. The reward of their prayer is not so much that God heard them but that people saw them. And um, I, th- I think I think that could be, this could mean a lot of things to us because we're not Pharisees. This is who he's talking to. Um, I, I, I think Part of what we're hearing here is that what Jesus wants from us is prayer that is real, that is authentic, that is not about uh, performing for other people or concerned about what other people might think or trying to necessarily emulate the patterns of prayer that you've seen from other people that you admire. Um, It's just about coming to God the way you are and praying to him in the way you are. The, the second thing he says is, he says, don't babble like the pagans do. <clears throat> don't, don't go on autopilot when you pray and just pray mindless, thoughtless prayers. I, I've been guilty of this. We're just like praying because it's what you're supposed to do. I, I know none of you have, but I have. I've just kind of said whatever comes to my mind, you know, just religious phrases, and I say them a lot, and um, I think what Jesus is saying, it's not about the exact right words. It's it's about being authentic and being real. In fact, it's less about the words. And with Jesus, it's always more about the heart that you come to God in prayer with. And in fact, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is about not the external realities, but the internal unseen realities. And then Jesus, after those two warnings, he gives us an alternative strategy for how we should pray. And he says, but when you pray, and there's an assumption, Pastor Danny told us this last week, there is an assumption that you will pray. It doesn't say if you pray, or maybe if, when you, you no. When you pray, the assumption is that we're gonna be people of prayer. He says, go into your room. Some translations say go into the closet um, and close the door. Um, and, and, And then he says, And pray to your father who is, say this word with me, who is unseen. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Some translations say will reward you openly. What's done in secret, he'll reward you uh, openly. I I, I think for those of you who may be a little like me, where you struggle with focusing. Anybody? Anybody? Six of you? Okay, awesome. Like they've, you, you have a hard time focusing right while, while you're praying. You're like, Lord, thank you for this day. Squirrel! You know what I'm saying? Come on. Like the other day, I was trying to have a meeting in, in the office with some of the staff, and, and we have this conference table, and it's got glass on it. And in the reflection of the glass, because there's a window right there, I saw a giant bird fly over, and there was something in his mouth, and I just got it and ran out the door. squirrel. What did you just do? I saw a giant bird in the shadows and I wanted to see what he had in his mouth, but he was already gone because he's flying fast. And they're like, bro, you got to sit on the other side of the table. Okay. Four of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. Can't be looking out the window, Danny. Right. Um, I, I I have, the the way I sort of interpret this part of of going into your room, closing the door, because most of us, especially if you're a parent, there is no quiet, still place to pray. Only the parents get what I'm saying right now. Like when I remember my dad, when when I was a kid, my dad, I would always find my dad praying like at five in the morning, in the dark, and he would be laid flat out on the ground and I would hear him just kind of praying before the Lord and I'd be eating my Cheerios like, wow. Come on y'all. My mom thought, we're gonna not let the kids have sugary cereal. It's gonna be healthy for them. But this brother is eating Fruit Loops with marshmallow blast tonight. I'm gonna to have some before dinner. Before and after dinner, right? I don't. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I don't even know why it just came out of my mouth, right? Like I said, my I wander, all right? Um, I, I think part of what it means to close the door is to close the door to your mind, to your anxious thoughts, to To the mind and and the thoughts that want to wander, shut the door to that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says that we are to take captive every thought, right? And bring it into obedience um, to to Christ. And beyond that, I think what Jesus is addressing here is one of the great barriers for a lot of us of prayer, which is that God is unseen. Pray to the Father who is unseen, Jesus says. God is unseen. God sees, however, what is done in the secret place. Um, And and prayer, write this down if you're a note taker, prayer is based on the reality of the unseen. See, prayer is not about always what is seen. In fact, Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things, what? Unseen. So prayer is based on a reality of things that you can't see, right? And and we have been conditioned in our day, in our culture, in our time to believe only what is seen, heard, felt, tasted is what's real. And that's not real. That's not true. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God um, that is being ushered in is the only real thing. And when everything, because listen, this body that you and I have, that we can feel, taste, touch with, it doesn't exist 70 years from now. 80 years from now, right? It's gone. And the one thing that that lasts is unseen things inside of you. The most important part of you is unseen. The soul, the spirit, can't see them, right? But that's the most important part of you. Prayer is hard for some of us, for sure me, because we think if I'm not moving achieving, visible, tangible progress, then nothing is happening. But prayer is often to an unseen God who often gives us unseen results. But just because you can't see something happening doesn't mean something isn't happening. So prayer is most like a seed that you plant in a spiritual soil, right? So, so much of a seed's life when you plant it under the ground is experienced underground, in the dark, unseen, where nobody sees what is actually happening, but something is happening. And prayer is like that sometimes, and you just keep planting the seed into the soil, and eventually something happens. So Jesus says you close your door to all these stray thoughts, and you engage your, your mind, Don't babble like the pagans do. Don't go on autopilot, right? Engage your mind. The reason your mind matters when you pray, a focused, clear, um, sort of uh, rational mind, why that matters is because that's the way you make contact with spiritual realities. It's true in physical realities, but it's especially true with God. When we pray above all other times, we want our mind to be at its best, clearest, most rational. So for Jesus, time... The time that he prayed and where he prayed mattered. Time and place matters. For, for instance, if, if, if your prayer only happens as you're falling asleep, come on. Y'all know what that, what that looks like because I pray every night before I go to sleep. Half the time, I don't ever finish because I, I went to sleep. Right? So where I pray and when I pray can often have a huge impact. Can you pray anywhere? Absolutely. Is that always the best way? Nope. Nope. Right? So, so Jesus gives us these warnings and, and a sort of like strategy. Go into the room, close the door, t- turn off the mind, turn off the television, you know, like like pray like that. And then he then he gives us one of the great gifts of all of the scriptures, which is the the prayer that he gives us. And of all the prayers that human beings have ever prayed, this is the best one, and this is the one that's most often repeated. That's without question. And getting advice from Jesus on how to pray is kind of like getting advice from, from, from Warren Buffett on how to invest, right? You, you want to listen to that, brother. What, what was that old commercial when E.F. Hutton speaks? Everybody listens, right? right? When Warren Buffett tells you, invest in this, you just do it, right? Je- Jesus launches into a prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's your prayer. It's my prayer that Jesus gave us. See what I'm saying? So I, I just want to go through it a little bit. There's much to be said. I can't say it all. And you're going to say, well, you still said too much, but that's part of how I roll. Um, so anyways, he tells us now not to pray. Now he's going to tell us how to pray. Verse uh, nine. This then is how you should pray. And, and, and what this means is this is not a formula prayer. Like, like, in other words, you shouldn't just memorize the prayer. You should memorize the prayer. Everybody with me on this? but not just to recite it mindlessly, which many of us have done, right? Some of you you, 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 you prayed at every service you ever went to, but after a while, it just became ritual and it didn't really land, right? The, the idea of memorizing it is that you memorize the components that Jesus gives and you flesh them out in your own way, in your own voice, in your own words, you, you flesh them out, right? Because there's critical elements. So the first thing he says is, remember who, you, who it is you're talking to, right? So he says, our... Say it with me. Our Father in heaven. All right, stop there. We start with our Father in heaven. Now, this reminds us that prayer is not the same thing as worrying out loud. Because to be honest, a lot of our prayer time is just we're worrying out loud. All right? You could do that, but it's not the same thing. So, so prayer is when my mind and my heart's affection connects to in conversation with God, which means I have to address God. I don't just say, hey, you, big guy, right, up in the sky, right? The the level of intimacy that you have in a relationship dictates a lot of what you call somebody. Like one of my best friends in the whole world, whenever he'll he call me in the morning or I'll call him in the morning, he's a pastor, the first thing out of our mouth is, hey, big daddy. I don't know why we do this. Other than that's how his father in law talks, and we kind of like to make fun of his father in law, who always says, Hey, big daddy! He's real kind of loud, you know what I'm saying? And so we just started calling each other, Big daddy! Don't do it, it's really annoying. I'm, I'm annoyed with it myself right now. Right? Now, why our father? What that means is, as a believer, lean in now, as a believer, I can, I can approach God in prayer not as a slave not as an orphaned child, not, not even as a prodigal son. There, there are moments when we are prodigals and we come to him in a different way, yes or no. But as a believer, I approach prayer realizing that because of Jesus, I am a beloved child of God. Amen. Ephesians 5, one says that we are called Dearly Beloved Children. And this is huge because I have in my own experience because of a malformed view of God, I have prayed like a slave, like an orphan, meaning I used to beg God like an orphan. I used to pray from a posture of fear and and, and timidity, like a slave, and probably some of you as well have done this, but in Hebrews 4.16 it says that we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence, right? Like a dearly loved child, I stand in confidence. Listen, not because of my own righteousness, not because I'm so good or my own goodness, but I stand in the righteousness of Christ, which has been imputed to me at my salvation. And I know that I am, as a result, a beloved child of God, which is why John says in 1 John 3:1, how great is the love that the father has what? lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are so what kind of love has the father given us that we are we imperfect finite mistake riddled right that we should be called the children of God which means that you are an heir of God and you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ that's what the Bible says that he would lavish upon us in in eternity and throughout eternity, the incomprehensible riches uh, of his grace and of his love. And that becomes the lens to which I approach God in, in prayer. I come to him as heavenly father dearly. This is your dearly loved son, Danny. Right? And if you're a follower of Jesus, hear this, you're not a project. You're not a pawn. You are a child of God. And Jesus says, start your prayer like that. Right? Our Father in heaven or literally in the heavenlies, meaning the atmosphere, not not just way off in space somewhere, but also the air around you. So so we might pray like this. Our Father who is closer than the air I breathe. Because that's true right? Don't think about somebody far off in space, right? Think about a God who is is closer than the air you're breathing into your lungs. In fact, when Paul is teaching on Mars Hill at the Areopagus to the the scholars and the, the, the philosophers, he says, and God is not far from any one of you. And he's saying that to people who don't believe. How much more is he close to people who do, who, who, who do believe him. And, and so in saying in heaven, I'm not just saying the heaven leaves or the air I breathe. I'm also acknowledging the reality that there is a heaven. That I'm on my way. You're on your way to. I'm, I'm passing. Heaven. Earth is not my home. It is temporarily. Right? But I'm, I'm on my way. I'm on my way to become a citizen of heaven. And it's an unseen reality for sure right here, right now, but it is the most real thing that you've ever heard of, right? And telling us to pray our Father, Jesus is is letting us know, when you pray, it's going to be more like you're going to be a little child again. You, You get to be, listen, you get to be a child again, going to a parent who loves you, um, and who is your father, but he's not just your father. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the ruler of time and space. He's the creator and sustainer of all of life, and he loves you more than you can imagine. Come to that kind of God and bring him like a little child. Now, I, I don't know about you, but in my life, there is much that I'm responsible for that, that I have to focus on. I can't afford to make a lot of mistakes in my world, Right? So so the idea that prayer becomes this space and time that I get to go and put all of that into someone else's hands who is far more capable than I'll ever be, that means so much to me that I can be a child again and take all of the worries and the wants and the wishes, I can just cast all my cares upon him. And of course, there's this very rational part of my brain who remembers my time as the youngest of four. Come on, babies of the family unite, right? And sometimes you're thinking there's too many kids up in this house from my perspective, right? And they're all bigger than me. They're all older than me. And at least two of them were much louder than me. I'm not gonna say their names because they might hear this at some point. They can imagine which one of them they are. There's a two and three chance that it's you. Okay, anyways. <laughs> and so I would think in my head, my parents can't hear me. And some of that's true, right? But here's the beautiful thing about my heavenly father. Somehow in prayer, in ways I can't conceive, God is able to simultaneously listen to every son and daughter on the planet who comes to him while at the same time focusing on each one as though they are the only one he's listening to. That is mind-blowing. And it's so significant because as a parent, you can't do that. You can't, I can't, it's not about, you lack sophistication or intelligence, it's just you can't focus on five voices at once. He can focus on eight billion at once. Now what that means is that you are a child of God and God hears every prayer you pray as though you're the only one in the universe that is praying. Our Father in heaven, start right there as a posture, in the posture of a child, a beloved child, to a father who loves you, and you can talk about anything you want to just as a child would. Now, the word father also reminds us that we're not in control of the answer that he might give. Right? Sometimes parents say yes, and sometimes they say no, and sometimes they say not yet, and if they're dads, they say, go talk to your mom. Can I get a witness, dad? <laughs> Pass the buck, right? Father... Um, So often, we want to use prayer as a kind of mechanism to get what we want, like a secret code that if we do it the right way, the right thing will come to us. That's not prayer. That's superstition. Right? Jesus doesn't teach us to pray superstitiously. He teaches us to pray relationally. Right? Prayer isn't a lucky rabbit's foot. Prayer isn't a cosmic vending machine where if you put the right amount of coins and you press E, Three, come on, sometimes you meant to press seven and chips fall out and you meant to have a chocolate bar. That's not how prayer works, right? Father is a word of intimacy and closeness, so much so that Jesus says in verse 8 that your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Right? So he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You start out by acknowledging who it is that you're talking. You address him as father. And then you start worshiping him. Because when you begin to understand who God is, you focus on him. Maybe you pray the psalms or you're praying in the worship part of this. You start to pray the psalms. You, as you begin to know, come to know him, then you begin to understand who you are. And then you begin to understand why you're here. So hallowed just means I'm giving honor where honor is due right? So you're my father and most holy is your name. And I'm going to give him the glory, whether he answers my prayers in the way I want him to or not. Hallowed is a way of saying, I'm grateful, but I'm not entitled because gratitude opens doors and and entitlement closes them. Right? I'm saying to God, even though you're my father, I realize you don't owe me anything because he doesn't. He, don't, he doesn't owe you anything or me. So I'm starting out with praise, not just for what he might do, but I'm starting from the posture of this is who you are and hallowed is your name. So again, I'm not coming to him like a slave in fear and timidity, but I'm also not coming like an orphan out begging because I don't understand how good he is, but I'm also not coming to him like a spoiled child who's entitled thinking that he owes me something. That's what starting with honor is acknowledging. I realize that even though you're my father, you're most holy, most awesome, most powerful, and you're all of that, whether you do anything for me or not, I'm coming to you grateful. So when you start praying, Jesus says, don't just rush off to your stuff, right? Spend time with your father because the more time you spend with your father, the more time you focus on your father, the more time you give praise to your father, the less concerned you're going to be about the stuff in life that's worrying you. Because what I've found in my own time is that oftentimes my worship in, I'm talking about in prayer, not in church, is here and my worry is here. But if somehow, this is why order matters in Jesus' prayer. If somehow, hallowed be your name becomes, goes up, worry naturally comes down. But if prayer is just worrying out loud, what happens is the greatness of God begins smaller and smaller and the things of this world grow larger and larger. So we, we acknowledge who God is. We embrace and we honor the God of the universe. And the more, the more you do that, the more confident you'll be when you leave your prayer time that he knows what's going on in your life and that he can, in fact, handle your stuff. So the more you focus on the greatness, the vastness, the all-powerfulness of God, the smaller your issues start to look to you. Some of you will remember this old hymn. I'm going to sing it if you don't mind. It just goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember this one? Look full in his wonderful face. Sing it out if you know it. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's true. That's true. That's true. And you stay in that place. Until it begins to sink in who it is you're talking to. Would you stay, Jesus says, would you stay there a while? Would you not rush past this point? The longer we stay in the hallowed be your name section of this prayer, the better our lives will be. Our Father in the heavenlies, hallowed be your name. Then he comes to the next part, and this is not the fun part because this is the critical, though. This is the critical change your life part, and there may be wrestling involved where he says, your kingdom come, God, and your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. So you pray that his will would be done and that his kingdom would be done. Would come So before God, I get to my needs and my wishes and my wants and what I'm afraid of and what's happening, any of my stuff, I want to start by saying it really is about your kingdom first and your will be done. And I'm going to declare the greatness of God. Then I'm going to start surrendering all of me to all of you. Your agenda comes before mine, your will before mine, your dreams for me before mine for me. No matter what pain I'm feeling, no matter what hurt is going on and stuff is pressing down on me, I want to say no matter what you You say in response to me, God, your kingdom come. That means in my life as it is in heaven. Not just in this earth. God, your will in my life be done. And Jesus would say, this is the point of prayer. It's not just for me to give you stuff. It's to bring you and me into alignment with the kingdom of God and his righteousness and and his will. And and maybe probably if you're like me, there are things that you're doing, ways that you think, things that you have believed are true out there that are not true that God wants to say, hey, I need you to bring all of that in alignment to my word, to my kingdom. Which means maybe that before God can do something in you or for you, he's got to get stuff out of you. That's not the fun part. Can't can't we get to the next part, Danny, about giving giving us stuff? (laughs) Jesus says, I want you to go into your room. I want you to close the door physically or metaphorically. Talk to your Father. Declare the greatness of God. And I want you to stay there for a while. And then then I want you to surrender fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want you to stay there until you are Genuinely surrendered. And this is where the real life change takes place in our lives. The daily transformation that you and I desperately need, this is where that happens. Where where God becomes more than just something we do on a Sunday, a a box we check off. More than just one of the things we do, prayer is. This is where he becomes our heavenly father, where Jesus becomes the friend that sticks closer than any brother. And I don't know about you, but I've said this already, my mind can wander on me. When I pray, and this part of the Lord's Prayer has a way of reorienting my mind to what is real. You know, when you go to a mall, a huge mall, or you go to an amusement park, and you're like, "Where are we? How do we get to that next ride?" You go to the map on the on 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 the board, and there's a little star that says, "You are what here." So when I pray, "Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as in heaven," that's reminding me of what where I live. I live in the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. If you're a follower of Jesus, you do too. I am not located then mainly in my own problems. I am not located mainly in my own sin or guilt or shame. The enemy wants to keep me trapped there, but that's not where I'm located. I am located in the will of God. I am am alive right here, right now, thank God, but I'm alive because it's God's will that I'm alive right now. Right? I also, I am who I am because God fashioned me, formed me, created in my mother's womb in the hidden unseen places, uh, he did that because that was his will. And, and so I want to realize the unseen reality, the kingdom reality, is the great story of God's will being done on earth, in our country, on social media, where it doesn't happen very often, come on, in our schools, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. I want to help bring up there, down here. And this leads that task of I'm part of that story Brings me to a place of surrender. God, your will be done in my life, in my body, with my time, with my money, with my energy, with my words, in my relationships, with this day. As I go out to work or school or wherever I'm going, as I build this business, you don't build the business for your name and fame. You build a business for his name and fame. And when you put his kingdom first and his will on earth as it is in heaven, God will blow up your business or your job in the best kind of ways. And when you make it about you, it's a small selfish kingdom and you and I want to be part of the grand kingdom that is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. How long do I pray all this, Danny? The length of our prayers isn't determined by the willingness of God. The length of our prayers should be determined by the condition of our own hearts. So if we're not in a place where we can acknowledge the greatness of God, stay there for a while. If you're not in a place where you can um, surrender fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, pray that for a long time. Your kingdom come, your agenda before mine. We just need to stay there a while. If, If we're struggling to pray kingdom prayers, your kingdom come, big prayers, earth shattering prayers, Stay there until you get God in view. You see the greatness of your God. See, this is a whole different kind of prayer than many of us have been doing. Yes or no? It is for me. It's not about the length of time. <clears throat> it's not about the number of the words or how, how, how polished the words are. It's about entering into a relationship with your heavenly Father. And when, when you do that, when, when your faith which is my trust in God. When your faith intersects with the faithfulness of God, life change happens. When your faith intersects with the faithfulness of God, miracles happen. Life change takes place. Um, your, your, your faith blows up in the best sense of the word. And Jesus is, and, 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 and prayer is not another thing that you do. He becomes your heavenly father and there's intimacy and your prayers are personal and sometimes they get emotional because they are relational. And it's not just about getting stuff. That, that's what God has in store for us. You start with him, Jesus says. You end with you, but it's this part in the middle your kingdom come, your will be done. It's critical. Whose will is running the show of your life? Whose agenda is in first place? Prayer reorients you to the reality of living, you you orient your life around the will of God, not the other way around. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Seek first the kingdom of God. Number four, make your petition. And this is where we usually start, right, with our favorite word, give. Right? Come on, it's not a bad word. Give us this day, today, our daily bread. But that's telling us, Jesus is telling us, don't don't focus on tomorrow. Multiple places, you're not promised tomorrow. Life is a vapor. In fact, the next bit of teaching that we're going to do next week is going to talk about don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow can take care of itself. And when we pray pray this day, today, our daily bread, what we're saying is, God, I'm asking you to give me today what you know I need for this day. Because I don't know what I'm going to need. He does. When you remember how the people of God um, walked in the wilderness in the Old Testament, they were given this thing called manna which is really just Krispy Kreme donuts that floated down. <laughs> Come on, hot and fresh, Little red light, no ants, no dirt, just floating there. Guess how much they got? Enough for this day, except on, on, on before the Sabbath where they weren't allowed to go pick it up, they would get enough for two days or whatever. When I was in the Philippines last year in, in October at our, our orphanage, Ima's home that we support, um, they were telling us of stories of the kids that had come, been rescued off the streets. One, one family of five, one, one group of five kids, the oldest nine. Imagine that nine-year-old taking care of her four siblings by themselves for one whole year. And they said one of the biggest hurdles they had to overcome with those kids that had lived on the streets was that they would feed them and they would only eat a little and they would begin to stuff the food in their pockets and not eat all they had been given because they had, of course, they had an orphan's mindset which doesn't trust that there'll be enough for each day. And so I have to arrange provision for myself. I will hoard, I will get closed handed with it. That's a spiritual orphan's mindset. In their case, it was real. And they said they wanted to just kind of say to those beautiful kids, hey, tomorrow's not your job. Tomorrow's my job. We're gonna take care of you. I promise you there will always be enough. And this is why Jesus tells us to call him Father, because I'm not a spiritual orphan. I have found that no matter what I'm facing, I can face any of it, anything, if I do it with God one day at a time. Forgive us our debts. I'm gonna skip some stuff here. Forgive us our debts as we are in the same way or in the same measure that we have forgiven others. Think about that when you pray that prayer. It's dangerous. Father, forgive me in the same way I have forgiven those people who've harmed me. That's what you, that's the prayer. So the fifth element is make reconciliation a priority. And this is about humility, right? It's an understanding that I don't always get it right. And I get it wrong, I have to make reconciliation with God. And I want you to I want you to know this that humility, true humility is the pathway to experiencing the favor of God. Because both James and Peter both say exactly in the same way, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In other places it says God exalts the humble and he he crushes the proud. Right? So forgive us our sins. People go, well, how often should I confess my sins? And I would say back, how often do you sin? Right? However many times you sin, you you confess that to God. Because I'm going to live reconciled relationships with God and as He tells us with people. And because of your forgiveness in my life, because grace has flowed down to me, grace has to flow out of me, right? I will forgive those who've wronged me, those who've hurt me and broken my heart. And I'm gonna do this in the same degree, to the same measure as 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 I've forgiven others, you're gonna forgive me. So which means that you and I have to fight for living in reconciliation. Paul says in Romans 12, if it's possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Which means it's not always possible. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Right? And then lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now I'm saying, God, please guide me. Protect me from going my own way. Going my worst ways. Into the habits and the patterns that I lived before I met you. Don't let me go back there. Protect me from that. Protect me from me. But also not just protect me from me, protect me from the enemy, from the evil, from the evil one. But listen, we think that prayers for guidance, because that's what this is here, this last part, are for only the big moments in life. Like, do I buy this house? Do I take that job? Do I move to that place? Do I marry this person? But I think that what Jesus intends is that we'll orient our lives in such a way that all throughout the day, in every season, in every moment, not just the big things. Because how often... In the moments of my day, do I not pray God deliver me from this temptation in front of me? How how often do I not pray God deliver me from this anger that has popped up out of nowhere in my life? How often do I not pray God deliver me from this fearfulness that has taken a hold of me or this worst way of mine? How often do I not pray God deliver me from this foolishness or the folly? How often do I not pray God guide me and show me where to go in each moment, every day lead me, Lord? The answer for me at least is often I do not pray. Father, lead me. I just pray, Father, give me. Which is the, the attitude of the prodigal son who goes and starts out and says, Father, give me what is coming to me. And life crashes and burns for him and he has a transformed mind. And at the end of the story, he says, Father, make me. There's the attitude, Father, give me or Father, Make me as one of your hired servants. That's what he says. And the best thing I can tell you is pray, Father, lead me, guide me, make me through every day. And, and deliver me from the evil or the evil one, which is telling us that you and I, as heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, have uh, authority that has been given to us by Jesus to pray prayers against the enemy messing with our family messing in our house messing in our life that I I don't come to you in the authority of Danny I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ you have no hold in my home you have no authority in my house no weapon formed against me shall prosper not because I'm able because our God is able and greater is he that is inside of you than he that is in the world and you got to come to God with that kind of posture done, done right here, ish, so far over my time, the good news is there's not another service after this, there will be in about six or so weeks, but not right now, nobody's coming in to jack you up as you're trying to leave, so everybody relax, I want to finish with this last idea, when I was young, in church we would pray this last line, come on, say with me, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen. Do you remember that? Beautiful language. But the best I can tell is that phrase actually wasn't in the oldest manuscripts we have of Matthew. Which means it might not have been a part of Jesus' prayer that he taught that day. Most of the Bibles that I own, it's not in there. Now, it's possible then that Jesus ended the prayer with, deliver us from the evil one and just was like, the end, which feels like, nah, bro, you, you, you got to say the benediction, right? Can't, you can't end it right there. If that's right, I could be wrong, but if that's right, maybe Jesus does this for a reason. Maybe he's teaching us, you're going to have to learn to deal with the places that don't feel right. You're going to have to learn how to wait, to pause, to listen, to sit in the middle of uncertainty and go, when's this all going to end? And when, when is it going to wrap up in this nice little bow? It's tough to wait. And that's why some people won't pray. They're in too big, too big of a hurry for God to microwave their miracle. And God is more like a crockpot than he is a microwave. Right? And God's like, did you just call me a crock pot? I mean, in the best possible way, way, right? What I've learned in my 51 years is much of what prayer is about is waiting. Well, I don't like that. Waiting on God to do what only God can do, giving him space to be God in our lives without hurrying off to try to fix it ourselves. Because a lot of us, we pray, God, help me, and then we run out and try to fix it ourselves. God's like, bro, I guess you got this. I don't know if God talks like that or not, but I imagine that he does. I feel like he's gonna gonna dab me when I come in. Probably he's not. Probably I'm just gonna fall down and be like, wow, that's what's gonna happen. Listen to me, last thing. God always answers your prayers. I don't know if he does or not. Yes, he does. In one way or another, he does. He says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you and sometimes his answer is no and sometimes his answer is yes and sometimes his answer is you're not ready yet not now but he always answers so for many of us we have to learn to wait to wrestle to wonder even when we want to control outcomes and jesus i think would say it's okay to keep asking while you wait keep knocking on the door while you're waiting, to wrestle while we wait, and to trust in all things that your Father is good and that he loves you more than you could possibly ever know. That's the Lord's prayer. So, Father, thank you for these words. These are the literal words of Jesus. Not what religious people made it out to be. We just read his actual words, his actual teaching on how we should pray. God, I think probably if people are like me, they're realizing that the way they're praying and the way you taught the disciples to pray in Luke's gospel and the way you taught the crowd and your disciples here in Matthew 6. Is a different way to pray. In fact, the reason the disciples ask him to teach them to pray is because they realize we've been praying. we memorized all these prayers we learned from children, but we've watched you pray, and the way you pray seems way more effective than the way we pray. Would you teach us to pray? And you did. So, God, I just pray that we would lean into prayer because prayer matters. Prayer matters. The fact that we ask for things in prayer, that matters. Prayer moves heaven. Prayer moves earth. God, we don't always see exactly what's happening, but I pray you give us faith to trust you even when we can't see. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we will walk, if we walk at all, we will walk by faith and not by sight. Teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much.